Shalom, Mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where uh, the middle wall is separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. As a matter of fact, my prayer is this week, you will have what my guest and her dad calls stubborn faith, because I don't think there's any other kind. Let me repeat it. Stubborn faith. My guest is Zona Hayes Morrow, daughter of Norval Hayes. Uh, and I, I have to tell you, Zona, I just read your new book. And although I've understood faith teaching for almost as long as I've been a believer, uh, 40-some years, there is something that comes off the pages of your testimony. You must drive the devil, Meshuggah. Meshuggah is a Hebrew word. It means crazy. I bet you really do. That is exactly what my goal is every day of my life, is when my feet hit the floor, for the devil to be on alert that Zona is up. (laughs) Well, what I don't understand is why, I mean, the average person has faced death in some way or another in a lifetime uh, but why have you faced death 13 times? Well, I would say that the Lord knew. I would say in my past that the Lord knew what I, that my dad was going to be a prominent one of God's generals. He knew the future. I didn't know the future. My dad didn't know the future. But I believe, and the, and the Lord says in his word, that the children will do greater works than the father. And the devil knows that I'm not afraid of him. I've been raised around all sorts of situation. Nothing surprises me. I've seen limbs grow out. I've seen people healed of cancer. I've seen demons manifest themselves. And um, uh, people from homosexuals to demon-possessed with witchcraft to people that were having sex with the devil to nothing surprises me. And the the Lord knows and the devil knows that nothing makes me Well, I have to tell you, we are going to help so many people. I personally can tell you, having read your brand new book, Get a Grip, What to Do at the End of Your Rope, uh, that uh, literally that stubborn faith jumped off the pages on me. uh, And I needed that. I think everyone listening to us needs that. And the thing that was so amazing to me, in addition to your new book, we have a a three-CD set called Overcoming Faith. And you did this in the midst of a fight, stating what you were going to, uh, what you were believing God for. And here's the difference. Most people say believe and they give a little teaching, but you go step by step of how you walked and how you got your victory. And very few people understand this. In other words, it's one thing to teach as a college professor. It's another thing to teach of what you have lived. Big difference. Oh, yes. 
Yes, that's exactly right. But I've been raised in a house of believing that God can do anything. And uh, but you know what you told me before we went on the air, which I've got to have you tell the people, is uh, now I remember uh, your father used to teach a lot on the deliverance ministry. Uh, and I had heard a story that your daughter lines up her dolls and when she was a, a baby and was uh, casting demons out of the dolls. Did she really do that? Oh, yes. Um, uh, she would line up her Barbie dolls, and she would put lay her hands on them, and she would be like, as cute as little thing, she'd be like three or four years old, and she'd go, come out! <laughs> But you know, a lot. Even the Lord used my daughter Lee when when she was just a child, like three, four years old. My dad would bring her up to the altar, and one church in particular was in Jacksonville, Florida, at Wiley and Gina Thomason's church, and he would and she would say, "Papa, uh, that little girl out there needs for you to pray for her." Well, there was a little girl out in the congregation. And in the middle of the in the middle of the auditorium, a little girl about eight years old, and my dad went to where Lee told her to go, told him to go, and he got the little girl in the aisle, and she said her ear, and and this was the Lord using my daughter in her early years. I mean, she was just word of knowledge, and um, my dad started praying for her ear, and the next night. They brought what looked like a little piece of charcoal, and that night the Lord operated on that little girl's ear, and she uh, it, it she had a, a eardrum that was dead, and the Lord put a brand new eardrum in her ear, and the and the old eardrum was on her pillow, and they brought it to the service the next night. So God, I mean. He's used my dad, and now he's using me. And what greater, any greater works that I do, that is what my daughter's going to do. You see what I'm saying? That's well, that's the way it's supposed to be. But I have to tell you, most PKs, uh, that's known as pastor's kids, they have their rebellion. Uh, and uh, But then when they come back, they come back with a vengeance, and you're no different than most PKs. Uh, your dad was raised Baptist. Uh, your parents were separated and then divorced, and he raised you. Uh, but he was running, I think, if I remember right, something like $12 million corporations at one time uh, and running all over the country uh, for full gospel businessmen and other groups speaking uh, in those early days. Uh, and you were shuttled from aunt to aunt. And uh, uh, as a matter of fact, tell me that time, uh, and I can picture this, uh, that your dad would take you out to the uh, uh, people that had, you know, bad area town where people uh, needed food, etc. And, and he, he would distribute food to the hungry. Uh, but you had a tough time with that. Why? Well, I never, I always wanted to be accepted. You know, my mother left when I was eight and a half, and I never saw her again after I was 10. And so I lived with my aunts for a few years, but then my dad would always come and get me. And this was when I was about 12, when I started going to Brother Littlefield here in town church, and he was the one that fed the poor. Well, you know, when you're, and then I went and got in high school, and, he, and dad drove the big Cadillac. I was known as the rich kid, and um, it it was embarrassing to me for him to go to the city dump 
in the big Cadillac and made us sit in the car with him and us get out in front of a poor person's home and there'll be there'll be all these children with dirty clothes on there. The one little baby, she was so dirty, her diaper stuck to her skin. And uh, they had no food. And uh, a little baby walked up to my dad and said, Mister, do you have any milk? Do you have any milk? And the Lord spoke to him and said, What are you going to do about it? And my dad said in his spirit, he said, I guess I'm going to go get milk. He said, That's exactly what I've called you to do. I've called you to serve before you speak. If you can't learn to be my servant, then you'll never last in ministry. And so my dad, I went with him to the grocery store. I was just embarrassed. It was a time where a teenager wants to be cool at the school and people see you in the city dump and they make fun. Just society. Society needs to have a revelation of what God's love is. Well, you know, as a teen, you also had uh, an interesting challenge, and I can picture as a teen not being very happy over this. You had 42 growths all over your body, and so what do you do? You go to the doctor, you have them cut off, and then the growths, they just grow right back up. So after doing this a few times, your father says, enough is enough, uh, and he says, you're not going back to the doctor. Uh, and, but, uh, so you're walking around with these 42 growths that had to be horrible for you. Oh, it was horrible. And, and the thing is the growth started out small and, and then when I'd get them cut off by the doctor, they would grow back and bring their cousins with them. I mean, they'd bring more growths. And so at the end of when he decided that he was not going to take me back to the doctor, um, there was forty. There wound up being forty-two growths on my body, large growths. Uh, but as a teenager, that had to be very embarrassing to you. Oh, it's very embarrassing, and um, and so I, Brother Hagen had come into town. And, and by the way, here's what's so neat. She says some of these giants, these generals, the, she was raised with them. Uh, Kenneth Hagen, uh, John Osteen, uh, Lester Summerall. And so Kenneth Hagen come, uh, uh, sees these growths, and uh, what does he say? Well, he had come into town that day, and my dad wasn't in from, wor- and, and from work yet. And so Brother Hagen was visiting with a hairdresser and her husband that lived across the street from me and my dad, and, and she did uh, Sister Hagen's hair when she was in Cleveland. And I walked in from school, and um, I, he went, Hey, Zona. I said, Hey, Brother Hagen. I said, he said, How are you doing? I said, Well, I'm not doing too good. And he said, what do you mean you're not? And he turned around in his chair, and he said, what do you mean you're not doing too good? I said, well, I got dad problems. And he said, what do you mean you got dad problems? I said, well, you see this growth on my, my hands and my arms and my legs? I said, I've been trying to get my dad to take me back to the doctor and have him cut off, but he won't do it. And then about that time, my dad walks in. And, of course, they greet each other and, you know, and hug each other because they were like brothers. And um, he said, Narvel, he always called him Narvel. And um, he said, I hear that Zona's got bad problems. Well, my dad cut his eyes over at me, and I just I just looked at him, and I just shrugged my shoulders. And he said, what do you mean you got bad problems, Zona? And I said, well, I've been trying to get you to take me to the doctor to get these growths cut off. And I said, and you won't do it. He said, well, Brother Hagen, and Brother Hagen went, Narvel, he said, don't worry about it. I can curse those growths at the root and command them to die, and they'll disappear. 
And my dad, to himself, went, well, I've been trying to believe God for this for four years. La-dee-ta-ta-ta. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's what my dad thought. And so he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Brother Hagen what he does to do that. Because he, you know, he had that in his ministry where he, where he cursed growths and they would disappear. I remember cancer couldn't stand around him. <laughs> Oh, uh, but uh, wait, we're out of time right now. I, I really, look, this book is going to just make a paradigm difference in your faith. You will be operating in stubborn faith, and you either are at the end of your rope in certain areas, family, finances, health, whatever, uh, or you will be someday and you need this teaching. But for everything faith operates, you've got to have this type of faith. And the three CDs, we're making it available for a gift of $35. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. On yesterday's broadcast, we found out what for a teenage girl is a real tragedy, 42 growths on her body. Uh, and even when the doctors would cut them out, they'd grow right back and more would grow. So his father, her father stopped dealing with that. He's praying, but nothing's happening. Kenneth Hagen is a guest uh, and in that area, and they're personal friends. And Kenneth Hagen says, all I have to do is curse those growths, and they'll go. Uh, and uh, then what happens, Zona? Well, then I, um, we went down to the house after um, my dad said, well, I'm going to himself. He said, I'm going to get Brother Hagen aside and find out exactly what he does to get growth to leave. Well, we got to talking when we got down there, and I had to go to bed because I had school the next day. And um, my dad, they went on to bed, and in the middle of the night, Brother Hagen got up, and he knocked on my dad's door, and he said, Narval, he said, I'm going to have to go to my sister's really early in the morning because the Lord t- spoke to me and told me that I needed to go minister to my sister because this would be the last time I would see her. She's going to go to heaven. So he left early the next morning. And then my, and after he left on up in the morning, my dad thought to himself, I didn't get to ask Brother Hagen what his secret was to getting growths to disappear. Well, he went, he, so, you know, he just he just was really disappointed. And so a few weeks later, he had been praying and asking the Lord to remove the growths off of my body. And I was in the living room um, with my boyfriend, because I wasn't allowed to date yet. And uh, so he could come and visit me at my house. And um, I was in the living room talking to him on the couch. And my dad was walking in the dining room. And all of a sudden, he was in paradise. It was like the air was fresh. I mean, the, it's beyond fresh. He went to a different dimension. He, he was literally taken to heaven. He was literally taken to heaven. His, his, his spirit, he left his body. He, and, he's, and he saw himself back down in the, kit, in the dining room. So he went up to heaven, and, and, and he said he just knew it was, it was heaven. And all of a sudden, this voice out of nowhere, strong, it said, How long are you going to put up with the growths on your daughter's body? And, the Lord's, and, the, and, and my dad said that he knew it had to be the Lord. He said, What do you mean put up? They're not on my body. I, I, I didn't put them there. 
And all of a sudden, he said, made God half mad. He could tell by his voice. He was not that you could get upset in heaven, but he was stern with him. He said, you're the head of your house. Whatever you put up with your in your house is your, that's not victory is your fault. If you'll curse those growths at the root, just like I did the fig tree, and you'll believe and not doubt, son, those growths will disappear. But you have to believe and not doubt. And he said just as fast as he went up into heaven, he, he came back into his body. And I'm still living with my boyfriend, and he walks in the living room like a lion, and he went, Zona? I said, I didn't do anything, Dad. I didn't do anything. <laughs> and he knelt down on the, on the floor, and he said, I, the Lord, I just went to heaven. He said, the Lord told me what to do with those growths, and I'm taking authority as the head of this house, and I'm cursing those growths at the root, and I'm going to command those growths to disappear, and they don't have no choice, and I'm going to believe it, not doubt, and they will disappear. And all of a sudden, he said, son, you put your hands on my daughter's knees, and I'll put my hands on your hands. He said, no, 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 wait a minute, hold on. Let me put my hands on my daughter's knees, and then you put your hands on my hands, and I'm going to curse these growths at the root, and I'm going to command them to disappear, and believe and not doubt, and they're going to disappear. Do you believe that? He said, whatever you say, Mr. Hayes, whatever you say. <laughs> and, oh, I've seen your dad a lot, and no one argues with your dad, but go ahead. <laughs> especially the devil. <laughs> but anyway, he cursed those growths. And for 90 days, every waking moment that I was around him, you'd ask him a question, and I'd say, well, Dad, what are, you, what, what are we going to cook for supper? And I'd, he'd say, well, we're going to cook uh, pork chops, and I thank you, Lord, for removing those growths off my daughter's body. And then we're going to have a salad, and thank you, Lord, for removing those growths off my daughter's body. Did it drive you nuts? Oh, it drove me. I, it, it, yes. After <laughs> 30 days of it, I, I met him in the hall, and I said, he was coming out of his room, and I was coming out of the bathroom in the hall, and I said, Dad, stop just a minute. Hold on. I said, I want you to look at me. I said, you're driving me nuts. I said, every waking moment, it's thank you, Lord, for removing the growths off my daughter's body. Thank you, Lord, for removing the growths off my daughter's body. Look at my hands. Do you see that it's not working? He looked at my hands, and he put his ha hands above his head, snapped his fingers, and turned around one time. He said, nope, I don't see nothing. All I see is skin, like baby skin. Thank you, Lord, for removing the growths off my daughter's body. Were, were they removed? Well, not at that time. He saw beyond what my hands, no. Yeah, yeah but you had to say, Dad, what are you talking about? <laughs> the growths, did you? Did you say that to him? I sure did. It wasn't my faith that re that got rid of him because I was living under my dad's roof. He was my father. He was the head of the house. This was a lesson to be taught to people in their homes that they can take authority over the devil, over things that go on in their home. And so about 40 days later, I, I counted these growths every day, said, and there was uh, that morning there was 45 of them, I mean 42 of them. And I counted them later on that day at, at um, the house, and there was 30 of them. So when my dad got in, I was sitting there waiting on him. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I just want to tell you, this is really weird.
I said, I counted these growths this morning, and it was 42. And I said, now it's 6 o'clock at night. And I said, there's only 30 of them. I have looked everywhere for 12 of them, and I don't know where they went. I looked in a vacuum cleaner. I looked under my bed. I've looked in the living room. I've looked in the kitchen. I've looked everywhere, and I can't find any of them. And he said, and then, of course, he did a little dance, and he, tur- he t- turned around and snapped his hands, his fingers in the air again, and he said, praise the Lord, those other 30 don't have no choice. Thank you, Lord, for removing the growth of my daughter's body. He just kept on and on and on with the tenacity, stubborn, bulldog faith, saw my hands clear with the eyes of faith. And then about 90 days later, I came in from school, and there was 30 growths on my hands. And I went back to my bedroom, and I was changing out my dresses and my clothes in my closet. And I'd reach up and get a hanger, and my dad was in the kitchen cooking. And I'd reach up to get a hanger, and there'd be the 30 growths. And I'd see them on my hands and my wrist and my arms and my legs. And I'd reach up, and there they would. And then I reached up about the sixth time I reached up, Every one of them had disappeared. Every one. What effect did this have on you? I about fell. I about passed out. It scared me so bad. I I fell against my dresser, and I ran out of that room as fast as I could. And my dad came around that uh, the uh, kitchen. He said, "Zona, Zona, what's wrong with you?" I said, "I'm gonna tell you right now. This is the spookiest business I've ever been around." I said, "I was hanging up my clothes, and there was thirty growths. Look at my hands, Dad. Look at my hands. There's no growths, no sign of no growths on my hands and my legs and my elbows. Look, they're all gone." And we cried, and the Holy Spirit's presence came in there, and I was hugging my dad, and I said, Dad, you mean to tell me I don't even do anything for God. You do everything. You feed the poor. You speak at full gospel business events meetings. You win souls. I I just tag along. And I said, do you mean God loves me enough to remove growths even if I don't do anything for him? And I said, he loves me that much? And he said, yes, he does, Sona. And the presence of God came in there so strong that we both just stood there holding each other and and just kept crying. I I have to ask you a question, though. uh, Okay, Uh, we fast forward a number of years. You're just out of high school. You marry uh, uh, Bobby, uh, and he goes to to war. uh, And uh, while he's there, he divorces you. Uh, and you move back with your dad, uh, but and, and you become backslidden. Uh, you're going out clubbing every night and just, just a parting as much as you can. How does someone that had that experience and that father fall away? Well, I saw a lot of foolishness in ministry all my life. I watched people use my dad. I watched my people use him to be able to receive big offerings. And um, I I saw a lot of phony things in ministry. And I I mean, I was taking, uh, I was, I, I, I would check them off. I mean, you know, I'd remember them. And then my mother left when I was eight and a half. That was devastation. Ministry and business took my dad. I was all, I was, I was a, a lot of times by myself, a lot, you know, growing up and or with an aunt or whatever. And so that was a little resentment there. 
and just immaturity in my part, just not realizing that my dad was really like one of the disciples, just take up your cross and follow me. You have no mother, no father, no sister, no brother. Even though he loved me more than anything in the, on this earth, he still, I wasn't mature enough in my in me to understand because I was still operating out of so much rejection because my mother didn't want anything to do with me. Now, your father must have been really desperate, and a couple by the name of the Goodwins prophesied. What did they prophesy? Well, they were driving in the in the in the car, and and sister, uh, they prophesied. Sister Goodwin prophesied, and she said, "The thing that you want the most will never happen." When she comes in at two or three o'clock in the morning, you tell her you love her. You tell her, I love her, and shut up. Don't say anything else, because she doesn't believe anybody loves her. She's gone too far out in darkness to come back on her own. You are going to have to stand in the gap for her. So don't tell her how you feel. You just tell her you love her, and Jesus loves her, and then shut up. There was a prophecy uh, which was given to your father by the good ones that he was told to love you and to tell you that Jesus loves you, uh, and that was it. But one night, he really reached a a point where he was desperate, and he puts his hands on the bed that you're sleeping in, and what did he pray? Well, he prayed after they—he did exactly what they said. It didn't matter if I got in at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. He'd say, little Zona, come in here. He'd wait up for me. I don't care if it's 4 o'clock in the morning. He'd call me into his bedroom, and I'd say, what do you want, Dad? He'd say, I love you, and Jesus loves you. I said, yeah, right. What, is that it? And he'd go, that's it. And then the next day, I mean, for like probably six, or six seven months. And then one day, he, I mean, he, he, he talked to love so much that I started believing him. And so I was getting ready to go to a club, and I was sitting in the living room. And I said, Dad, come in here. And he came and he sat down in the chair beside me, and I looked at him, and I said, I know you love me. I said, I know these guys that I run, these friends that I run around with, I know they don't love me. They don't even love themselves, so how could they love me? He said, and I said, I really don't want to go tonight. He said, oh, you don't have to. Why don't we pop popcorn and watch a movie, and you stay here, and don't go out. Just, I said, no, they're already coming after me. He said, Zona, let me ask you a question. Uh, He said, what is God going to have to do to bring you back to him? I said, he's going to have to knock me in the head because I'm not going back to him. After what I've seen, after my mother not wanting anything to do with me, after Bobby writing me a Dear John letter, after all the flakes that I've seen in your life, use you, and then all in the name of Jesus? Yeah, no, I don't want that kind of life. I said, these these outlaws that I run run around with, they're more loyal than the people that are in ministry. I said, so why do I want the life you live? And then he said, and and so about that time, the car horn blew. And I went to, I said, well, Dad, I better go. He said, Zona, don't go. Don't go. I said, no, I need to go. I need to go. So I left. And after that car with a gutted muffler, he (laughs) was making a loud noise, beeping the horn. He said, as it was pulling off, he said he stood at the front door, and he pointed his finger at that car, and he went, Devil! 
you can't have my daughter. I'm not going to let you have my daughter. And then all of a sudden he went into the living room and he laid down on the floor and he went, Satan, you're a liar. You take your hands off of my daughter. My daughter's not going to hell. I stand in the gap for my daughter. Now this was just something really little he did that day. He'd been doing this for like seven months. I mean like hundreds of times a day. And calling me saved. So the Lord said, go lay your You've never laid your hands on her bed. And he decided to go in the guest bedroom, laid his hands on one of the twin beds. And he said, Lord, you heard my daughter. You, I give you permission to shake her foundation, shake her up. And so that night, I, I came in so late that night. And I hadn't been drinking or doing any drugs or anything that night. And I went in the guest bedroom because I thought it was really late. And I thought, because I was only 18. Because I, I got married when I was 17. And, um, and so I, and I was already graduated. So I was only 18. And, and uh, so I went in the guest bedroom, laid on the bed. I didn't know he'd laid hands on him, on that bed. And I laid down. About an hour and a half later, I turned over, and my eyes were even with a belt buckle. I looked, and there was a man bigger than three men sitting in the floor, Indian style, with a yellow shirt on and a striped tie, and it had brightness all around him. And I looked, and I tried to scream, and he put the right leg over the left and, and, and turned to the, to the left side and got up, stood there and looked at me. Well, to scare devils out of somebody, somebody like that, all they have to do is show up. They don't have to say nothing. They don't have to, they don't have to sing no hymns. They don't have to do praise and worship. All they have to do is show up to somebody that's not serving God. I thought it was the devil coming after me. But, I mean, I heard him go down the hall. I heard his footsteps. And I put the quilt, had a real slick, a, a light quilt over the bed. And I put it over me, and I walked down the hall. And I turned the corner and looked out the back door. And it was that, that man was standing, waiting on me. He turned around his face to the side, the left side, and looked at me. I could tell he turned his head. I couldn't see his face because it was so bright. And he walked through the wall. Well, that's all it took. I mean, it flipped me out. I couldn't believe it. So I ran back to my dad's room and I, and I was telling him, not not a man, yes, a man, uh, a big man, big, big, devils, man. I don't know what it was, but it was in my room. It was going to get me, dad. And I'm scared. He started laughing. And he said, well, you know who that is? And I said, who? And he said, your angel. And I screamed. I went, ah, I don't want him. He's too big. I want a little one with wings. <laughs> he says, only as many devils as you've got, it takes a big one for you. <laughs> so, But for a year and a half, said I never, I didn't get away from that. And I gave my heart back to the Lord in a Brother Hagen meeting at Faith Memorial Church a year and a half later. Now, there was a second time that you saw your angel. Uh, and that was when you were going to die again. Uh, a black widow spider bit you. Yes, yes. And it. I went into seizures. And my little girl was sitting beside me on the bed. And she um, and John Osteen had prophesied about six months before that that I was going to see my angel again. And um, and so anyway, she was sitting beside me on the bed, and I was having seizures, and I was dying. I mean, I could tell I was in a tunnel, and I heard very faint, "Mommy, mommy, come back, mommy, mommy, come back." 
and I, I, it was like I was way far off from that voice, and all of a sudden it got closer and closer and closer. I came to the end of that tunnel. I came to into the room, and the paramedics were coming after me. And as they were carrying me out the back of the house on the stretcher, they were carrying me in the ambulance, and my angel was standing right in the middle of that ambulance like the jolly green giant, had his hands on his waist. And I saw his face that time. He had long blonde hair down to his shoulders, and he had the same bright clothing on. And he got, and when I got into the, the ambulance, he shrunk down to normal size, and he was sitting in the, in, uh, in the seat back there next to the lady that was taking all the information down. And he, I looked at his eyes, and they looked like the eyes of Jesus. And he said to me, you're not going to die. You're going to live. Fear not. And that's what he said to me. And, uh, and he told me, he said, I'm with you always. I am your guardian angel. That's what he told me. That is my own. We all have a, I believe we all have an angel. And, and that is my guardian angel. And I had the Holy Spirit inside of me, but he also, I, I have that, that angel. And I do believe I'll see him again. I do believe it. And obviously the black widow spider did not kill you. <laughs> Uh, amen. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the, you've had so many close calls, if you will. Uh, yeah. t- uh, tell me about, uh, real, real briefly, about uh, you had a chemical imbalance. Uh, you didn't have enough potassium in your body, um, and, and it made you extremely weak. Uh, tell me about the time you rolled out of bed. Well, I remember that um, uh, when I felt like I was at the um, end of my rope, and I, uh, you know, I, and I did. We were riding um, when my my first husband. Uh, we were riding in the in a Volkswagen. I was sitting in the back of the Volkswagen. Didn't even know anything was wrong, really. And um, I. We drove all the way from Kingston, ten, Kingston. Uh, I mean, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And I was um, sitting in the back of that Volkswagen, and when we got out uh, of the Volkswagen, I couldn't walk. I mean, he had to he had to carry me into the house. My body wouldn't it didn't function. It wouldn't. I couldn't use my legs. I couldn't use my arms. I had to, nothing worked. It was my. And I realized later when the doctor said it was uh, potassium. It was low potassium. But I was laying in the bed. He had to carry me the next day to look for apartments because we were moving to Kingston, Tennessee. And um, he had to carry me around to the apartments. Had to feed me in the Dairy Queen in Kingston. And um, all of a sudden, we came back to his house. And his parents lived on the river. Oops, we're out of time. We'll pick up right here on tomorrow's broadcast. But I urge you to get this brand new book. It's called Get a Grip. What to do at the end of your rope. And I have to tell you, whether it's family, whether it's finances, whether it's job, whether it's health, you will move into a new realm of faith. It's called Stubborn Faith. And the three CDs called Overcoming Faith, available for a gift of $35. Call our order only line, 1 800 447 2697. 1 800 447 2697.
I was talking to Zona Hayes-Morrow yesterday. Uh, This is Norval Hayes' daughter, uh, and she had a problem. A great miracle happened. Her husband, who wrote her a Dear John letter when he was in the military, divorced her. Well, they got a miracle happened. They got remarried, uh, and they're relocating cities. Uh, but all of a sudden, she's got a chemical imbalance. Uh, she's got really low potassium, uh, and she couldn't even walk. And uh, then when the Dairy Queen, and he literally had to carry her in. Uh, so uh, she uh, got into a bed, uh, and, and he, he went out uh, looking for, uh, uh, I, I don't know what he's looking for, uh, work or uh, another apartment, uh, and uh, he left you alone. And uh, what did you do? Here you are, great woman of faith, and you can't even move. After we went to Kingston, we found an apartment. We um, The next day, uh, we were going to go water skiing. And um, that morning, Bobby got up, and he told me that he was going to get the boat ready. I said, I'm going to stay here. And he said, no, I want you to go with me. I'll carry you. I said, no, I'm going to stay here. So everybody in the household left, and I made them leave because I didn't want anybody staying with me. And while I was laying in the bed, I said, okay, devil, you're a liar. I'm going to walk by the end of this day. I'm going to walk in Jesus' names. My arms are going to move in the name of Jesus. And I was still on the bed, but my arms gained a little more strength, and I decided to make my body work. So I rolled out of bed and fell flat on the floor, and it really hurt. It really hurt. I didn't break any bones because I, I, I just I, I knew that if I could get my arms around the leg of the dresser and my foot around the leg of the bed, I knew I could stretch my arms and pull myself back up. So I would exercise by stretching out my arm and pulling myself back up. And I might have done that 30 times before my arms got some strength back in it. And then I did the other arm about 30 times, and I got some strength back in it and kept confessing. But I I wasn't stupid enough to think the potassium was automatically going to come back in my natural body. I found a banana, and I found a cardboard box of orange juice, which has potassium in it. And um, so I put the potassium, I ate that banana. And I got enough strength to to feed myself the banana and drink that orange juice that was um, on that counter. And my legs still wouldn't work, but the potassium had went into my uh, enough to get into my arms. And I had enough strength in my arms that I could pull myself into the kitchen. So I grabbed the handle on the bottom drawer in the kitchen. And with my right hand, I pulled myself up. And then I used my left arm and, and pushed And after that, I was able to take my right arm and place it on the counter, and I could try to let go, and I'd fall flat in the floor. At least six or seven times I fell flat in the floor. Wait wait a second. Why didn't you just stop? Why why didn't you, uh, I mean, why did you persist like that? Because I was not going to let my body rule me. I have authority over anything that's not victory. And my legs weren't working, and that wasn't victory. And so I was, I am the type of person that I don't never give up, ever. I never count myself a failure in anything. I don't let failure come into my vocabulary on anything that I've ever pursued my whole life. Okay, so you're operating in this stubborn faith. Uh, (laughs) What happens? Well, I did that. I did that whole routine by faith, like 
speaking the word, and stubborn determination. And all day long, I did it. I didn't stop. And this was like I started at 10 o'clock in the morning. All day long. So by 5 o'clock, when Bobby came in the house, I was in the living room chair, and I looked at him. And I said, Bobby, look. Then I walked to him. And he just broke, and he began to weep. And he said, you'll never quit, will you? And I said, nope, the devil is not going to win in my life. I will not let the devil win. And because of taking authority over the enemy's strategy, said, and using the weapon of the word combined with natural banana and orange juice, I started walking against all odds. So it was time to climb the mountain and, and receive all that he had for me. And, there, and there's power in taking a step of faith and not giving up. And so, and because of taking authority over that and using the weapon of the word, building myself up as I took a step, even if I fell, building myself up with the word, but also naturally replenishing my body with any type, like, like banana, drinking orange juice. Uh, okay, that, that begs a question. Um, when I hear these great, like John G. Lake, I never could picture him going to a doctor. I mean, he had such faith uh, that he would put a, a disease germ that everyone was dying from uh, on his hand, and he'd say, doctor, look at this, and the doctor look at it under a microscope, and the disease germ would die. Uh, I mean, uh, but I know that you sometimes use doctors, you sometimes, well, you, you even had kidney failure and you went into dialysis and, and with this great um, uh, faith that you have, this uh, stubborn faith, uh, why would you resort to a doctor? Why would you resort uh, to medicine? Well, the the Bible tells us to be single-minded and diligent in our walk with the Lord, and that means we go forward and stay focused on our goal to fulfill our call in life. So this is the thing. The devil attacks when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Every human on earth. Nobody is exempt from the devil's attack because we are the object of his devouring. Uh, you know, I had a friend that understood faith and he had cancer, and he was so convinced, he convinced me he was going to be healed, and he died. But I noticed one key thing. He got tired. Exactly. But the thing is, this is, this is the way, you know, the devil told me this last time, on the last about three years ago when he tried to kill me again. He said, I'm going to kill you, and you're the, you're the closest thing I can get to Norval Hayes. I said, well, you ain't killing me. I bind you. I have authority over you. You are not killing me, and don't ever appear to me again. In Jesus' name, go and never appear to me again. And and it's, it's the thing is, my dad calls it stubborn faith when you find a promise of God and you hold on to it no matter what happens. And um, and so I'm just saying, Sid, the devil meant what he meant for harm. God turned around for good. You know, yeah, I went on dialysis. Yeah, I had a transplant. Yes, the devil tried to make me feel like I was worthless, like I couldn't speak faith, like I could. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord spoke to me, and he said, it takes a lot more faith to carry somebody else's kidney in and preach faith than it does for somebody to get a creative miracle. They take advantage of it, and they abuse their body. 
they think they can live and be and do exactly what they want to do. Nobody. You always have to be accountable for what you put into your body. That is not health. Because we live in a physical body. And and you told me that um, before we went on the air uh, that many good Christians die because God has a plan for them through medicine, and they think that they're, they don't have faith if they don't use the medicine. Well, I, you know, 85, the Lord, when I went in for this last transplant, um, I had so many well-known people call me and prophesied to me right before I went in. Well, the Lord, you know, the devil kept saying, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. I would say, you know what? I know that I'm going to live. I know that I'm going to live a long life because you're trying to work so hard at trying to kill me. You're the father of lies. So if you say you're going to kill me, that means I'm going to live. So you know what? It doesn't matter. It wasn't until I was 38 when I finally sold out to God. Fit, even though I was ministering, ever since I've been I was diligent to walk by faith, the Lord said to me, he said, this is not between me and you and your daddy. This is not between me and you and anybody. No speaker, no anybody's going to get credit for your miracle. He said, you make the right decisions, you live. You make the wrong decisions, you come home early. To carry the mantle of this ministry, you have to look to me. You can't look to anybody else. Because it takes more faith to go what you've gone through, and I met you. I meet every human on earth where their faith is. Just because they take a blood pressure medicine, just because they have to check their sugar two or three times a day, just because they have to be on a low-salt diet, that doesn't mean they don't have faith. That's where the devil sold them a bill of goods. You know, people may admire consistency, but if we do the same old thing every day, we're going to get the same old results. So I made a decision that I was going to overcome the physical problems that I was going through. And no matter what happened, I set my goal on God's best. No matter what happened, I set my goal on his best and victory. And and so we have to change. I had to change and do what I have not done before. Shalom, Mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. Uh, we're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man, one new creation, getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. My guest is red hot for the Messiah. The devil tried to kill her 13 times. She faced death. In fact, Zona Hayes Morrow, uh, who is the daughter of Norval Hayes, you told me before we went on the air uh, that you have literally seen the spirit of death three times. Tell me one time, very briefly. Well, the last time was in 2008. My body had been retaining so much fluid, I looked like a freak from the waist down. And uh, I'm a little person, and it's just, it was awful. And 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 I thought, uh, I was sitting in the, in the, on the kidney floor at, at University of Alabama Hospital, and um, my husband left the room to go get coffee, and all of a sudden this black figure came to the side of my bed. I was reading How to Live and Not Die, my dad's book. 
Why, why were you reading that book? You would think that by now you would have known that. Well, the Lord spoke to me in 2007. He said, I want you, me and Dad were doing healing school together, and he said, I want you to read How to Live and Not Die. He said, when's the last time you read How to Live and Not Die? And I said, I have never read it all the way through. He asked me that three times. I said, well, I guess you want me to read it all the way through. Now, this was before any of the, the last time the devil tried to kill me. He said, yes, I want you to read it through seven times, and then I want you to read it once a month, until, through once a month, until I tell you to quit, because you're going to need it. I said, oh, okay. So I read two chapters a day for two and a half years. And by the end of that, that's when they diagnosed me with uh, kidney failure in the four stages again and put me back on dialysis. Had I not read that and kept my faith built up with the Word and done exactly what the Lord said to me when they diagnosed me to go back on dialysis, I would have flipped out because it, it was horrible. And it was like, oh, no, here we go again. And so, but uh, when the dialysis, you know, they would, I refused to stay in the status quo. Oh, oh, oh I have to ask you, when you were taking dialysis, uh, which, praise God, she doesn't do now, uh, you did not want to look at what was your circumstances. And did you really take a blanket and put it over your head? Well, I asked the Lord. I was getting, I could tell that my body, my physical body, was getting tired, and um, I could. But I never let it come out of my mouth. Not one time, ever. Not one time. Not one negative word for the whole four years I was on dialysis. But I never complained. I never told anybody what I was going through. I was very quiet, except for when I talked to the Lord. That is a key. And so the Lord, I said, "What do I do?" I said, he said, "I don't want you to look." at the machine. I said, well, what do I do? I'm right by the machine. He said, I want you to take a blanket in. I want you to sit under the blanket and your whole time. I was only on there two hours, three days a week, because I'm so little. And I said, okay. So I went into the into the dialysis center, and I sat under the blanket, and I stuck my arm out, because I had a fistula. I stuck my arm out, and they stuck me um, in the arm, and I sat under that blanket, because he said, if you ever get your eyes on the machine, and realize what's going on, you'll die. Because you're going to look at the circumstance. He said, And he said, when you do, you have to do something you haven't done before. And it'll cause you to have unwavering faith, and you'll expect God to show up. So I, that's exactly what I had to do. You know, I had to do, faith not only says, I worship you, Jesus, but it all also says, I expect God to show up. I expect him. I expect him to give me my miracle. I expect, whether it be through surgery, whether it be a creative miracle. I had done dialysis. Why did I not get a creative miracle? Because God said, you have faith, but I met you where your faith was. And you have to tell the people, he said, because 85% of my people have to take medicine and they feel like they don't have a testimony. And he said, that is a lie from the enemy. Well, that reminds me of you were teaching in your dad's Bible school while you were on dialysis. And you told me you felt like the biggest hypocrite in the world. Oh, yeah, I did. I felt like I thought, because the whole time the devil's saying to you, well, who do you think you are? You have been. You have to go be hooked up to dialysis. You have to go be hooked up to life support. What is wrong with you? Uh, you think you've got faith? How can you have faith? You have to be hooked up to life support. 
So I had to cut off all thoughts about giving up and quitting. And I made a decision that no matter how bad the circumstance, I would never quit, I would never give up, and I'd climb into God's will for my life. I made a decision that my relationship with Jesus meant more to me than anything or anyone at all. And so, you know, I, I, I wanted I, I want to finish my assignment on this. I've got a lot of years ahead of me, and so we need to have the wisdom uh, of of leaders that have gone before us that have made a way. You know, people say, "Well, I don't need a spiritual covering. I don't need to have a much spiritual mother or a spiritual father." No, you don't need to. God is your spiritual covering. But you know what? It's always good to get wisdom from people that know more than you do. Always. And, not- and, and by the way, the reason that I love your brand new book so much and your three CDs is you are building on giants. You're building on generals of the faith. They poured into you. Then you took it higher. And now you're pouring into this next generation. But there was another thing that really astounded me when your kidneys shut down. And there's something about for two years, you couldn't have liquid. I don't know a whole lot about dialysis. But for two years, you couldn't have liquid. You just had frozen grapes and strawberries. Uh, but you you were doing what you were capable of doing with faith, and uh, you would go to the bathroom and you would pour water down the commode and flush it six times a day. Why did you do that? Yeah, I sure did. I I, I didn't, couldn't have any fluid, and um, I had to limit my fluid intake because I didn't I didn't go one drop to the restroom. So. I would go into the bathroom, I'd lock the door, and I had an empty cup on the, by the sink. And I would fill the cup with water, and I would um, I would pour the, the water and close my eyes. I would not look at anything. I would close my eyes, and I'd say, thank you, Lord, for my miracle. Thank you, Lord, that my kidneys function normally. And then I would tear a piece of toilet, I would tear a piece of toilet tissue off, I'd throw it in the commode, I'd flush it, I would go over to the sink, I'd wash my hands, and I'd dry them, and I'd straighten my clothes up, and I'd walk out outside the bathroom. And, say, and all the time, I'd say, thank you, Lord, for giving me my miracle. Thank you, Lord, that my kidneys function normally. Thank you, Lord, for my miracle. And I just, I just, it was just like faith. It built my faith. You know, we all do things a diff, uh, different ways, but that's that, that's what really built my faith. Now, during this entire time, uh, your teaching, uh, how would you have strength to do this? Um, I mean, it's a strenuous thing to teach with a bunch of of uh, uh, students. Oh yeah, I, I had sometimes I'd have people hold me up. I'd have to have somebody stand beside me. When I weighed sixty four pounds, I was in New York. And I was preaching at a meeting of about 500 people, and I had to have one person on one side and one person on another to hold me up because I'd just gotten off of dialysis, and I weighed 64 pounds. And um, But most people would have stopped. Why did you continue? Because I knew, the war, I knew what God said. 
and I knew I wasn't finished. Can you tell me real quick, because you operate in words of knowledge, uh, amazing words of knowledge. These students must be very nervous when they're around you, because now that you've had your miracle and you're, you're in great shape right now, um, uh, you would even know when some of these students were going to a bar and what bar they were in, and you would, you would tell, me, tell me one story real quick. Oh, Lord, this one boy, he was just a real good music leader, and um, but he had an alcohol problem, and um, I was in my kitchen praying, and um, the Lord showed me the name of a bar, and it, and what was really a strip joint, and it was in Chattanooga, so I called the strip joint, and I had him um, page him, and he came to the phone. And of course he was up. He was flipping out, you know. Then another boy. I was frying chicken in my kitchen. I, all this happens in my kitchen most of the time. And um, I saw a, a name of a street. I sent one of my guys, two of my guys, nobody by themselves, two of my guys over to that street. And one of my students was getting ready to make a drug deal. And if they'd have made that drug deal, they'd have went to prison. But God rescued them, and they drew they... Oh, I'm so sorry. We're out of time. I'd like you to keep going on and on, Zona. But she can for you, because this book, you will not be able to put it down. And by the time you finish, you will see where you've been missing it, because it builds on giants, and you will operate in stubborn faith. Get a Grip, brand new book, three CD set, Overcoming Faith, gift of $35. The Lord is blessing you right now. The Lord is smiling upon you right now. The Lord is surrounding you with his favor right now. The Lord is gifting you right now now. The Lord is giving you his shalom, his completeness in your spirit, in your soul, in your body right now in the name that is above every name, Yeshua HaMashiach Sikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. Your To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box, 39222 Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. 
For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.